I want to make sure that what I draw out of the commentary is not of interest solely to scholars, but would also be something that really helps the life of every believer today. This is Matt Woodley on Monday Morning Preacher from PreachingToday.com, and I am here with my favorite and I think everyone's favorite and, may I say, much beloved co-host, Kevin Miller. Wow. It just, have you noticed it's going up with every episode, your intro? Every episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kevin, let's do a little thought experiment here. Let's imagine that I am eating at a at a very fine mom and pop Italian restaurant. That is not hard to imagine. Not at all. Now imagine I tell the wait staff, tell the chef that I love this chicken parmesan. And then they go back and tell him. And then the chef, Luigi himself comes out. Luigi, my favorite character in Super Mario. Now this is a chef, okay? Oh, this oh, is a, a real uh, an Italian chef. He owns the restaurant. Okay. And he begins to tell me in great detail about the chicken parmesan. He says, point number one, you must use garlic. By the way, did you know that garlic or the Latin allium sativum is a species of the onion genius allium? Also, an amazing fact, China produces 80% of the world's garlic. Isn't that impressive? Point number two, use white wine, although some chef scholars prefer red wine. Point number three, melt the butter. Most scholars say that you must cook the chicken on each side for three minutes and seven seconds until golden brown. Meanwhile, he goes on and on and on, and I just want to eat my chicken parmesan. I am still hoping this has something to do with preaching. <laughs> it does. We are on a preaching podcast. Not a, it's, I thought this was a cooking podcast. <laughs> Here's the problem that preachers sometimes have. They do their exegesis, and they do all their study, and they do all their research, and then they don't know what to bring into the sermon and what to leave out of all this great exegetical work they've done. So we dump way too much information on our people. We don't know where to stop. You ever struggle with that, Kevin? Oh man, like almost every week, you know? So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this episode then. What what have you learned about what to bring in and what to leave out? Well, so here's the principle. Do your exegetical work. Do all your chef work in the kitchen, but then leave some of it in the kitchen. You don't have to bring every detail into your sermon, and there has to be a way to organize it in a way that's concise and compelling and life-changing. You know, this is a great topic. I'm working right now with a few preachers in the early stages of their preaching ministry, and I asked them for a bunch of different topics, which they were most interested in. And one that consistently ranked high is this one of how do I get it down to something simple? How do I get, do all the study and get all these amazing insights, but then bring it back down to something that works in a sermon? Who's a pole star for you with this? I mean, who, who is a good example as a preacher? Well, one of the masters of this, I think, a person that did solid, scholarly, deep, exegetical work, but then simplified it by the time he wrote the sermon was the master, John Stott. Oh, John Stott. He's a, he's a hero of yours. You're, the last sermon I heard of yours, you used him in a story. I used him in a story, and he actually preached at where the church I was pastoring in Long Island. He, I was not there at the time. I was not the pastor, but uh, we had an archive. 
of his sermon that he gave. And we also have him on preaching today as well. Again, he's the master of knowing good exegesis, but then knowing how to bring it into this sermon. So we're going to listen to two clips. We haven't done this for a while, but I really enjoy this. So uh, Stott gave a sermon. On, it's on preaching today on Matthew uh, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Just those three verses. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And let's listen to two clips. And then, Kevin, let's break it down and look at what Stott did well. So here's clip number one. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Surely these words must be among the most tender and appealing words that Jesus of Nazareth ever uttered. No wonder we read the common people heard him gladly. They marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Well, they've been immortalized in different ways. For some of us, they've been immortalized by Handel in the Messiah. In that famous aria in which he combined these words with words from the prophet Isaiah, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd, come unto him. You know, Kevin, the first thing I notice about Stott in his exegetical work is he, he clearly knows how to zoom in on the text. He's a careful observer of the text. You can tell that. It just comes through. Andy Abernathy is a professor at Wheaton College, teaches exegetical exegesis in, over there. And he says the first three things you got to do in exegesis is read, read, read. Read the text, observe, listen, slow down. What is the text saying? How is it saying it? Follow the logic of the text. Follow the narrative of the text. Look for the key words in the text. Look for the key phrases. And notice how Stott just zooms in and he sees two specific commands in this text. In this clip, he, he focuses on the first one. He says two statements or two invitations he issues. The first invitation is come unto me all who labor and heavy laden. And then the second one, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So he's a careful mm -hmm. observer. Wow, that's good. Well, I couldn't help but notice that not only does he, does he zoom in on that Matthew 11 text, but he zooms out to get the larger biblical context. I think he, he referenced four, maybe five other scripture passages. Mm -hmm. And those help give you the, the broader sense that Jesus is the supreme burden bearer. And then suddenly my heart starts to, to lift up. So I, I really loved how he not only zoomed in, like you said, but he also zoomed out. So Kevin, a really important question at this point is, with the zooming in and the zooming out, the observing and getting the broader context, where do you use commentaries? How do you do that? What have you learned? Well, you know, I'm passionate about this, that I use commentaries regularly, but I do it at a certain point in my preparation process. And that is after I have sat before the text, maybe 15, 20 times I've read it, 
I've wrestled, I've noted what I see in each verse and what is the tone of this text? What is it answering? What is it not saying? Where do I need God in this text? Only then, after I have sat often, you know, wrestled to the ground by the text, do I then open up the commentary? And so the commentary is not giving me my sermon. I'm not looking to the commentary to really give me my sermon. I'm looking to the commentary to check is what I'm seeing in this text and feeling from this text within the main flow of, of Christian thought about this text. So I, cause I don't, I don't want to create any heresies. I don't want to go off. Uh, but I, so I open the commentaries after I've done my own reading. And then the second thing I would just say is uh, commentaries, because they're necessarily written by scholars, which is awesome, they often will focus on questions of supreme importance to scholars, but not all of those questions are of supreme importance to the people sitting in my pew who are trying to keep their marriage together and keep their kid off drugs and caring for an ailing parent. And so I want to make sure that what I draw out of the commentary is not of interest solely to scholars, but would also be something that really helps the life of every believer today. I've been preaching now for 28 years, and I think as a younger preacher, I went to the commentaries way too early and weighted them way too heavily. And I, I think, you know, on the one hand, it was a, a um, just a lack of trust that the Holy Spirit through the word of God could speak to me directly and stir my heart with a word in my encounter with the Lord. But on the other hand, commentaries, like you said, they are very useful in the later stages I love the way you said it. They also helped me to hear what the church has said about this passage throughout the ages. You know, like Dale Bruner has a two volume commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. This guy spent like his life studying the Gospel of Matthew. And he engages with what the early church said about this passage, what the reformers said, what contemporary theologians and scholars, what are the scholarly issues, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'd be a fool not to listen to that and incorporate at least some of that into my sermon at some point. So there is a role for commentaries. So Stott zooms in, he zooms out in his, just his careful reading of the text, his exegetical work. You can tell he's done that homework. Now let's listen to clip number two. Come to me, he says, in the simplicity of your need, and I will give you rest. Well, that's the first invitation. And the second is this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I marvel at the balance of the Bible. You know, the Christian life is not just taking it easy and enjoying rest. No, when we come to Christ, he first eases our yoke and then fits his yoke upon us in its place. He not only lifts our burden, but places his burden upon us instead. And yet there are too many of us who want the rest without the yoke. We want to lose our burden, but we don't want to gain Christ's. But the two invitations of Jesus belong together, and we have no liberty to pick and choose between them. What is the yoke of Jesus? Well, a yoke is a horizontal wooden bar that is laid on the necks of oxen and 
The Jews spoke of the yoke of Torah, the yoke of the law. Because in the Old Testament, a yoke is a symbol of submission to authority. And what Jesus meant when he said, take my yoke upon you, he explains by adding, and learn from me. So Kevin, one of the things I noticed in this clip is that Stott has all this great exegetical work. I kind of get the sense that he's got a whole lot more that he could bring out. And I know he does because he's written commentaries. But what he does is he organizes his exegetical thoughts. He has a string to hang all these beautiful exegetical pearls on. He has a very simple outline. And basically, his outline is the two commands or invitations that Jesus gives in this three-verse text. So as a preacher, it's my job to take all these wonderful exegetical insights and bring order around it and organize it in a, in a way that people, I can walk my people through it in a very uh, simple way. Not only is it organized, but it's also just so simple and decluttered. Yes. You know, he'll take what is obviously must have taken him pages of reading of scholarship, and then he just condenses it into this simple one sentence or two sentences that everybody can understand. I, I think there was a line in there, a yoke is a wooden bar laid on the necks of oxen. Well, what, what is just a simple, clear description of that? I, I love that. You notice that he doesn't really give us like a lot of the Greek or Hebrew, uh, in this case, Greek, meaning if there's something important in the Greek, he expresses that meaning in English. So it's so simple and so clear. His genius is shown not by what he includes, but by how elegantly decluttered and clear it is for everybody. Wow. Elegantly decluttered and clear it is for everybody. People, write that down. If you're listening, get a pen and paper and write that down right now. So, Matt, how, as you prepare your sermon each week, as I do, how do you try to declutter? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I do my exegetical work. I have a Word document. Well, I'm actually dictating it to myself as I'm meditating on the passage, as I'm throughout the week, and then then as I get into the commentaries and I do that kind of cultural, historical background, original language work, all that kind of stuff. I have a Word document, and I just go, verse 1, thoughts on verse 1, you know, verse 2, boom, 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 boom. So I'm just kind of got this long document, and I got a lot of pearls. The first thing I got to do is I got to find what is the string. You and I would call that the big idea, theological principle, whatever it is. What is the author doing? What is that big idea? And that's going to immediately eliminate or at least put on the back burner a number of those fine pearls. Because you can't bring everything into your sermon. You just can't, you know. And our tendency, especially as younger preachers, is to do too much. So realize I'm going to probably do too much and then find that what is that string? And then what are the what is the path through that, you know, and then what are the pearls I'm going to put on that string? I don't know if that makes sense. How do you do it, Kevin? No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, I like you fill up a file with things I'm seeing in the text, and then later what commentators are 
seeing in the text. And what I then do is I create a file called Overage, <laughs> a separate Word doc, and I put things in there that I'm like, yeah, probably is not going to make it into this sermon as good as it is. And what I've discovered is if I don't put into that Overage document more than the content I leave in, it gets too cluttered. So in other words, I have to throw away more than half of what I've studied, learned, or seen in this text. And how I figure out which half to throw away is exactly like you. I ask myself, what is the one thing that I feel is in this text that I want to draw out for my hearers today? One, not, not two, not three. Mm. And I write it down and I put it at the top of the sermon document. And then when I'm choosing what stays in and what doesn't, you know, I'm constantly going back to that to try to make sure. That's focus. That's clarity. You know what you want to say. What's what's the old Haddon Robinson saying? Uh, mist a mist in the, in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. So, yeah, if you're misty about what you're going to say, it's going to be foggy for your people. You know, the other thing, too, Kevin, is that and and you actually brought this out to me in this this Stott sermon that Stott speaks to the heart. This is exegesis not just to inform the mind, which it does, but it's exegesis with the goal to move the will and the affections of a human being. And I love that. So in the background, there's always this, as I'm doing my sermon prep, as I'm doing my exegetical work, there's this murmur of praying. And the prayer is, Lord, transform your people. How, how can all this great research I'm doing, reading this commentary, looking at this Greek verb, what, how is it going to change the lives of my people, you know? Um, and Stott does that really well in this sermon, right? I mean, he uses his exegesis, and, but it's speaking to the heart. I love that. I, I was just reading this week the passage where the two disciples on the road to Emmaus realize that they've been with Jesus. And one of the clues they have is, didn't our hearts burn when he was explaining and teaching the scriptures to us? And I, the idea, I'm guessing, is that they're saying that's exactly the way it always was when we heard him give the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. Whenever Jesus taught, there was a burning heart within us. And so that's what I hope, by God's help, will happen as, as I try to speak of the risen Christ to my people is that they'll have that same burning heart. And I did get that sense as I listened to these clips from John. You know, one thing that helps me with that, the great Daryl Johnson, your friend, in his book, The Glory of Preaching, he talks about where do I meet God in this text? Yeah. And then what is the good news of this text? And I find if I will do a good job answering those questions in my preparation and in my sermon writing, that the burning of the heart is more likely to occur. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. You know, so we've been talking about John Stott as a role model. Sometimes at Preaching Today, we talk about finding your own voice as a preacher. And I think both you and I would agree that's really important. But sometimes we say, yeah, find your own voice, but also imitate other preachers, <laughs> learn from other preachers. And another model uh, for me is uh, Gardner Taylor also did this as well. The Prince of Preachers. He, he did this really well, in a different way than Stott with his own style and his own voice, but he also knew how to do his exegetical work and then bring it in in a very concise and poetic way. So he's, he's another role model for us. 
And Fleming Rutledge does this as well, too. She She's an amazing exemplar for us as well. Yeah, I agree. Her book, The Crucifixion of Christ, although it's rich in scholarship, also really spoke to my heart. Yeah. So preachers, um, imitate the great ones and learn how to do your exegesis well. If you love that kind of stuff, geek out over it. Go ahead. Go for it. Have pages and pages of notes. Find pearls of brilliant exegetical insights, but then also know how to declutter, to simplify, to organize, and to bring only the right information that will bring uh, life change through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Matt Woodley and uh, our beloved co-host, Kevin Miller. Thanks for joining us on Monday Morning Preacher.